0: Welcome to The Map Room, your guide to navigating the challenges of business ownership, a podcast about how to take the right steps when the going is hard. Join Paul Barnes, Stuart Brown and special guests as they discuss the difficult truths and tough situations that business owners face and dare to take on. Brought to you by Map. Welcome once more to The Map Room, the podcast where we hope that the experience of those who've made this journey before you can help you avoid their mistakes and accelerate your own entrepreneurial journey. Now, for those of you who are returning listeners, you probably know this is the time in the show where I put some context into the upcoming episode and I usually get very excited about the guest in the studio. Well, today, that's not the case. Uh, not that I'm not excited to have the guest in the studio, uh, but today I can see uh, the illustrious Paul Barnes sat opposite me, which obviously means the tables are turned. So no context and no guest intro. Uh, I suppose I should really start just by saying good morning, Paul. And what can I do for you? Morning, Stuart.
1: Yeah, well, I've been giving some thought. Obviously, we both have in terms of content going forward and, and guest speakers. And I thought, who better to have than you? Because... Um, <laughs> okay. I mean, I've, we're
0: running out of options.
1: I've learned so much from you, Stuart, uh, over the years. And one of the things that really resonated with me was was something that you covered a few years ago at an event that, that we both did together. And we've been doing a bit of a subject matter about difficult truths recently, which is really important. And I hope people do listen to that before it's too late because there's are some of the things that, you know, we wish we had understood earlier in business, maybe not the sexy and exciting stuff. But the thing that people most of the people that listen to this podcast are interested in is how do they actually scale a business and how everything related to the, the, the topic of scale. And you did a talk um, back in 2017 at the the digital round tables that we ran at, at MAP. And um, you might remember that we had so many people turn up that day that I think they were literally sprawling onto the the floor, if you like, so they didn't have the, the space to, to do a presentation. And instead, we turned it into a and a
0: we did yes this was uh, back in the days when i was the client at magnetic north that's it yeah where it all began uh, yep. our
1: relationship yep. so um you did this slot about six lessons learned from scale there were loads Correct. of things that stood out in there for me and things that I, I still talk to clients about today and i just felt it was a really good framework if you like to be able to cover your wisdom if you like and your how you how you look at scale and how you break it down so um if it's okay, I'd like to to go back through that for the benefit of the audience and the people that maybe weren't there that day.
0: Yeah, okay. Uh, I mean, it was like everything, Paul. We you know we talk about well when we talk to clients and we talk on the on this um, podcast. It was born from experience. You know, it's not. Uh, we said at the very outset. Now, you know, whatever it is, you know, obviously, you know long more than a year ago we spoke about the ambition for this podcast and it was not having theorists so whilst yes I accept this is an opinion it it's really is the things that I've experienced as I have um, grown organizations.
1: Yeah and therefore it'll be interesting to see if anything's changed uh, a number yeah. of years later whether you know your thinking's changed on, on any of that or whether it all still um, mainly stands up uh, as as to what it was back then. You started if you remember by actually defining Scale up, and what a scale up business was. Do you remember that definition?
0: Uh, I do. Um, I, I don't think that has changed. Um, I'd probably put my own slight update on it, which will come to. But the 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 definition I, I used to say legal definition, which is completely wrong phrase, really. But the sort of government definition, when 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 you're talking about SMEs, the government definition of a scale up is a business that has ten or more staff. And the average annualised growth is greater than 20% year on year for more than three years. Now, it used to include staff numbers. And I always used to sort of object to that because it was almost if you're just growing, um, you know, it, it, head count, then you're a scale up. And I didn't really uh, agree with that. So I, I think to me, it's about your revenue, your turnover, whatever, uh, your level of sales, whatever uh, description is comfortable with listeners is 20% or more. Year on year for three years. I think what was interesting in terms of maybe a couple of updates is, obviously, uh, we did a webinar um, not that long ago with um, Joe Hines, if you recall, um, and Joe was talking about there is the 10% year on year growth as a minimum, so not necessarily a definition of scale up per se, but growth mode. And there's an, there's an argument between the difference between what's just a company in growth mode and a scale up. So. I suppose the, the the definition today would be 10% year-on-year as a minimum, you're in growth mode, but to be classed as a scale-up, you need to be doing twice that. Um, I'd also throw in something that's come around, I'd say more recently, definitely um, from 2017 or after 2017, uh, is something called the Rule of 40, which is used in a lot of um, SaaS businesses, which obviously you've got direct experience of. Um, and that is saying that um, the rule of 40 is simply measuring your growth and your profit margin. And therefore, if you, uh, your revenue growth is 20% and your profit margin is 20%, you hit the magic number, rule of 40. But if your growth was, say, 20%, but your profit margin was only 15, then that's 35, which is below the rule of 40. So that's something which I would probably add in there now.
1: Yeah, I do think that makes sense, like you said, particularly in the SaaS world where it's not all about making profit. It's another way of measuring it and understanding, I guess, where you are on that growth journey. Are you on a fast revenue growth? Are you now starting to compromise some of that revenue growth to deliver a margin? And so it's an interesting way of looking at it. And whether you agree with the maths or not, it's just yeah. that breakdown of if your revenue is not growing and your profits not growing, yeah. then you've probably got, got some issues there.
0: I think the other thing that I would throw in, and I think probably, you know, if we talk about my experiences and and my views on those six points, I I hope we get to cover later, which is the one thing that I say more now is that this has to be by design. There are lots of businesses that find themselves in this position. They find themselves um, fortunate. They're, you know, riding a wave of market sentiment potentially. They're in a business where they've suddenly got one large client that is just giving them. And more than they can handle and so they're, they're growing rapidly but maybe they aren't planning for it and the, and the thing that I would probably throw on top of all of that so yes having the uh, 20% year-on-year growth yes having the uh, the rule of 40 um, is that actually you need to have the vision the strategy and the execution to grow and maintain at that rate that's the thing that I would throw on top of this now um, probably more than ever.
1: The thing that I would throw on top of it, as well as obviously not liking the idea that you're potentially a loss-making business um, if your revenue is more than 50, uh, more than 40, sorry, nets down to 40 after potentially a a loss-making. earning cash. Exactly, and and on, on that topic, cash as well, because technically you could be, really good on both of those things revenue and profit yeah. and still not generating cash quick enough and we yeah. all know businesses that have been very profitable and yet still gone out of business because they've not been able to to work their, their working capital well yeah. enough and effectively enough yeah so really interesting um do you remember the uh of, of the six areas what the first one was because i do and it's the one that's always stood out to me and the phrase that i still <laughs> use today that i stole <laughs> off you
0: uh i i know it because of what you've just said uh, i can i can see the slide today uh uh yes it's uh, can't fire a cannon off a canoe and what does that mean um it's uh it's it's it, it ironically it's stolen. it's an American phrase um They used to um, where it actually came from. I'm unsure because they they call their um, go back to the map analogy. The the war room. They call their battleships war canoes. Um, Essentially, it means that you know you have to have solid foundations on something. You know you try literally firing off a canoe, and everyone's just gonna gonna capsize out of it. Um, I think probably it's around. at the time I spoke about, um, do you know, I can even see that picture as well—the sort of building falling down with the foundations underneath it. Um, it was about making sure you've got solid foundations in place. I think I'd probably expand on that now, given more my experience of working within Map. About, you know, we, we break our proposition down to, you know, essential essentials um enhanced and extended and i'd say it's the essentials part of that it's it's getting all the things all your ducks in a row and all the things in line that mean if you can get all these building blocks in place if you get these foundations in place then you've got something to grow from otherwise you know you do risk that you know again keep the canoe analogy you, you risk the thing capsizing um I, I'd, I'd i'd probably round that by saying it's about being grounded as well um you know, we we all we all speak to and we all hear those entrepreneurs who, um, you know, are going to beat the world, got the world-class business, going to do this, can do that, and it's about and and yes, some of them do them, um, but it's about being um, grounded rather than a fantasist and, and taking the the time to make sure that those blocks are in place really. Um, again i think at the time i spoke about the concept of lifting uh, lifting the drains um whether it's lifting the drains lifting the bonnet is, is a phrase that uh, you know i hear lots of and that's really getting making sure you've got your, your financial data ball and, and that's making sure that you know what to look for and i think sometimes that's part of the risk that uh, you know will we'll come on to you know later my concepts about owner operator, but it, but I, I weave these two together now because I think back to you know when when I first started my own business I just didn't give the financial data the respect it needed because I didn't understand the importance of it. I thought that you know if you just carried on you know selling I, I you know I started my business from being a salesperson um, you know and we overtraded that business you know as you said and you know as you said before cash you know and and that business went into insolvency because we didn't have the plan in place and we didn't have the financial rules in place so I I think now I'm a bit more um, specific about what that actually means if that makes sense
1: it's funny because obviously I I speak to a lot of businesses about their finances and I'm obviously speaking to them cold having never spoken to them before never met them before and yes I've, I've now got an ability to very quickly ascertain what their exposure to proper business has been like in the past yeah and often it will come down to how they respect finances. Mm. Is this, oh, I've got to do the finances, yeah. something I've got to do, the government makes me do this, I need someone to do my accounts. Or is it actually there's a healthy amount of fear if they're not on top of the finances, because that's come from battle scars of the past and businesses that yeah. they've been involved in and, and sometimes failed with, um, and they've, they've learned the hard way. So... Um, yeah, obviously, I can talk about that till the cows come home. but
0: I think I, I, th- I throw planning in there, but maybe we'll talk about that later when we talk about um, you know, the sort of processes involved. But you know, as I say, I think the difference between 2017 and now, I'd throw in the thing that says, yeah, lift the drains, make sure you know where you are, make sure you know what pieces are missing. But then very quickly, that's not going to get you in growth mode or scare-up mode until you get a plan to get you from where you are. So that's probably the bit that I throw in, really.
1: Yeah, OK, so that's number one. Can't fire a cannon off a canoe. Everyone's got that image now ingrained <laughs> in the brain.
0: I'm going to find that picture <laughs> and stick it on the social media.
1: Um, that could be our next activity day, maybe. Yeah. Number two, surround yourself with the right people.
0: OK, um, that probably comes back to what I said before, which is the concept of the owner-operator. Um, if we look at... Well, I can look at my own experience. If we look at... Um, go back into the uh, first series of, of the map room we had um, John Woodall from Space 48 in and he was saying that you know when he started that business it literally was family and friends uh, and that's you know very often a story, a story we hear and whilst they might be the right people at that point in time because uh, it might be the thing about trust, it might just be availability, it might be all those things it might be the people who believe in you which is an important part, is that you, st- you start to really uh, need to understand there's a difference and there's a difference between your startup mindset and your scale-up mindset so I think the owner operator sometimes has two um, should we say issues that they need to address there is the friends and family there's the other thing which I call the yes sir which is just I've seen it in lots of organizations where and I think this is a challenge for, for I would say for most if not all founders that you know we get told what our staff think sometimes we want to hear um you know and we maybe talk about culture later but that's a challenge very often and i and i've been in instances where you know i'll sit and i'll look at um and ironically paul i mean i'll say this about um and i appreciate this is this is about you know my experience in this piece but that's where i got really biased about management accounts because you can look in management accounts and it can it can propose questions that you can ask if you want to know the answer, and uh, and as you said there, you know when you're speaking to somebody, and I assume you're talking about maybe a map prospect or even a, a client. Yeah. You know, if I'm t- talking to somebody, and whether that's you know doing the, the board support through map or you know non-exact type stuff, is you know I will ask certain questions, and I agree with you. It's very e- it's very easy to see whether they re- they truly understand their business because they'll either. Not read most management accounts. I've been there before, Um, or they just don't understand it. And so, I I think the the ability, therefore, to be able to not just have people around you who'll just agree with you. And just you know, as you say, the sort of the found, the founders um, challenge is is don't be surrounded by. I'm going to use the word yes men. I'm going to get in trouble because you just said men because yes people doesn't sound right. So, but you know, yeah, that's why I say yes sir. Really, but that that's the thing about owner, about people and own operators.
1: There's Something in there as well, Stuart, that um, rings a bell from the episode that you did with Louise Carr. Yeah, yeah, which was about not just thinking about how you use that information today, but how it yeah. might be used in the future, which really uh, struck a chord with yeah. me when I, when I was listening to that that episode. But I think often as business owners, you're doing the thing that maybe excites you today or the thing that will get you results today. You know, maybe it's a marketing campaign, maybe it's speaking to prospects, maybe it's speaking to a client employee. It can be something that's quite instantly fulfilling. Whereas something like your management accounts or yeah. other things that are part of your foundations in terms yeah. of your contracts and, and yeah. that kind of thing, you're actually doing it for something potentially that might be only become beneficial in yeah. a number of months or years' yeah. time. I mean, obviously, your management accounts are about the here and now, yeah. but sometimes when those management accounts become very familiar and there's there's not much new in there, it's very easy to drop your guard. I think um, and to to stop paying as much attention to them because it feels like oh, it's similar information. We know how we're yeah. doing. We know performing. You, you drop that governance, don't you? So you you talk about governance in terms of also it's about all the reasons you might need this information at some point in the future.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that. that, that you know, as you say, that that's probably um, slightly off subject in terms of the, again, we you know, we, we speak a lot about exit, but the number of times both of us have seen an issue where the risk is, you know, a potential buyer and investor asks you, you know, the standard is last 36 months management accounts, and the number of times that there's questions asked that people just can't remember something, uh, rather than, you know, the, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about rigor later, but the rigor of making those notes alongside those things so you can explain those bits and pieces. Um, but that that's the difference between the, the thing that I thought you were going to say there when you mentioned um, Louise, which also, as you were saying, it rang a, a bell with me, was the, she was explaining the risk of familiarity. So the risk of working with friends and family is that you don't keep the arm's length thing. Sometimes, mm. you know, she's been in cases where she's been sat in a tribunal and, you know, the contract of employment just doesn't exist mm. because it was the second or third person in the door. Mm. So I think that's the other thing, which is the the owner opera very, very often when you're going from startup to scale up, you've got if you know, if you haven't got those building blocks in place, it's sometimes the things that you don't know. So as well as the finance, it's all the other things around it. And, and that was the interesting point that, that Louise said.
1: Just, just one final thing on that, when you say about friends and family, I think sometimes there's this misconception that you shouldn't work with friends and family and it can't work mm-hmm. with friends and family. But actually, I think that's the pertinent point. The, yep. the problem is, is that when people work with friends and family, they often drop the guard. Yes. So they don't put the processes in place. But actually, if you treated them the same way that you treat anyone Absolutely. else, the same you, you follow the same policies and procedures yep. that you would with a, with a stranger that's coming into the business, that's where it falls down, I think.
0: It's always been easy for me because I don't talk to my family. I haven't got friends, so, <laughs> so it's never been a problem. No, it is. It is that familiarity. I, I think that that you know that probably leads on to another point in that section, really, Paul, which is, and as you say, very often, and it, and it's and 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 it might have been the right team at the time, but as you move forward, it's it's how do you start to put that structure in place? And I don't necessarily mean structure for the sake of structure. The reason I said at the start of this, I used to dislike. One of the original measurements was if you are, you know, growing your revenue or your headcount by more than twenty percent. That's a, that's a scale up. Um, you know, you can you can throw lots of if you've got you know sufficient resources, as in cash resources, you can throw lots of people into a business, and therefore you know. At, and again potentially slightly off subject I remember because it's. I'm thinking now about that time at MN as well at 2017 I remember going to um, and it would probably be unfair to, to say who, who that agency was but there was another acquisitive agency at the time that ran an event in Manchester um, and I went along to see what their sort of um, you know because we were in the planning stage at, at MN about what we wanted to do um, and we went. I went along to this event, and, and they were talking literally about you know headcount, and their minimum criteria was headcount, and, and I thought it was a strange one, really. Um, I've always been, um, I'm going to use the word nervous or apprehensive about organisations that grow structure for the sake of, I'm going to say vanity, so they talk about the number of people they employ. This is not about um, that. It's about a structure that allows you to um, develop delegation, I think that's important if you're going into a scale-up mode because it's not possible for the founder to do everything. Um, but also, it's about accountability. It's about the ability to put a structure in that makes sure that you know all the relevant bases are being covered, and it's not back to the founder to have to remember everything. Um, one of the things, if we go back to, um, in fact, you know, not that long ago, episode one of series two, we had Adrian in Adrian Lomas, uh, and I spoke to him there about the fact that I've always liked in the EOS um, system the accountability chart. For that reason, you know, it allows you to sit there and say, um, and I suppose this brings back to even what's the role of the founder at that point. You know, the founder's job is to be the visionary and get the company started, but some of the companies that I've seen grow the fastest. Is where literally the founder gets out of the way, and says, All "Right, I now need a structure that I can delegate and I can have accountability." And you know, I, I, I've joked before on this podcast. You know, no one's going to come running to me to tell me the cheese and onion crisps aren't in the vending machine. I know I'm showing sure my age again. No one has vending machines <laughs> in offices anymore. But you get you get you get my point, really. Um, so I suppose that's it. That's one that I would throw in now in that space that maybe wasn't there at the time. You know, if you are the founder and you're going for this um, growth, ask yourself, what is the role of the founder? Am I best in a visionary role? Am I best in an operational role? And then the structure that you've got to build around it um, is different.
1: Yeah, and for a startup business, Stuart, or a small business that's maybe not got that the resources to have that infrastructure and have that team, that is the beauty of outsourcing and advisors is it's about being able to get just the right amount of resource skill or expertise at just the right time for what you need as a business so you don't need to do all of this on employed permanent staffing basis it's assembling the right level of input for that's appropriate for where you are in the business and obviously that is the the benefit of bringing um external help in as well isn't it
0: very much so uh, again, uh... You know I would say that's probably something I would I would add to now I mean there is that famous quote about you know higher ambition and rent knowledge um I think the um the expertise and the knowledge is probably the greatest value I mean yes okay we, we can talk about ourselves here and we, when we talk about outsourcing you know we can only really sort of be um credible when we talk about outsource finance function but you know whether it's whether it's that or whether you know as as the board you get you know you get an advisor in you get um you know a non exec you get a mentor whatever you call it it's about someone who's probably got that expertise and the experience to help you get to where you want to get to and may have done it before you and I think that's the bit that we talk about there it's about you know we've talked about this podcast and say it's, it's about reaching out to everyone to say remember you're not doing it alone but there's also very practical steps you can make you can take yourself to make sure you are literally not doing it alone you know and I, and I know from you know a from being a client um you know if I go back to I'm going back to this it's funny you know it's funny now you know, you talk about this now I can I can physically you know I can see the room it's that uh, trigger mental you know I can I can smell the office I can see the faces it's fascinating when you do things like this but that's obviously where you know I was first um uh, you know, oh, oh, with them, that's where I first met David. David Arden, you know, and and David's ability to, you know, I was I was looking for a, a new accountant in that business, um, not understanding. I'll be honest, not really understanding as a concept of an outsourced finance function. I literally just wanted an accountant because I wasn't getting info, the information we need. You know, I needed at the time, and you know, David, you know, brought a. I'm going to say. Well, it it was experience, but maybe it was a viewpoint because uh, David could come and ask questions that made me think differently about the things that I was looking at in that business. That I think that's probably the most important, most value we got at that point in time. So I think that's you know, and I know David still does that today. And it's, you know, obviously his experience has widened, but it was that ability to even though even though I'd sat there and you know, arguably had more, shall we say, business experience than David. David's ability to bring um, niche experience and financial experience to the table that allowed me to, you know, made me ask different questions of myself and the business, but also helped us create some things that, you know, I wouldn't have spoken about back in 2017. And maybe, you know, I can we can find a way to get them in later. But, you know, all the tools that, that David helped that business put in place not only helped us plan the growth, but helped us measure that growth. And I think that's a key thing.
1: You mentioned about point in time there, which is something I, I just wanted to say a little bit on, which is, I, th- I think, because we all, as business owners, you read all these books and you think about the business that you want, it can it can create, create quite a lot of headaches, I think, trying to assemble this perfect business that permanently gives you everything that you need. And business isn't that. Yeah. It is a, a point in time is, is a really important way of looking at it. I think it's what's appropriate for where we are now. And I talked about obviously bringing advisors and, and, and external expertise but also with your internal team as well. I've seen businesses, map and our clients, where somebody's come in and done an amazing job for a period of time, Yeah. but 12 months later, it's no longer adding the same value that it yeah. was at the start, either for the business or for the employee yeah. or for both. And it's, I think, not getting too emotionally charged about that, not yeah. allowing past legacy to blur your view about yeah. the current state and, and going forward. And so that right point in time, you know, just being really real it's all well and good thinking long term and thinking futuristic what you might need in the future but what are the problems we're having as a business today yeah you know are they problems with you know having good workflow systems in place or are they about the culture or are they about the the way that we're generating leads you know it, it could be anything but just be real about what the problem is that we're having today yes and you can you can find people either employed or not yeah. to help you get better at that problem, not yes. solve that problem, yeah. but help you deal with today's priority. And that will have a period of time where eventually, like you said, whether it's a non-exec mm. and external consultant and an employees, mm. that might not continue forever. Yeah. And that's okay. That That's what business is about. And I think that's one of the most important roles as the the business owner yeah. is to sort of figure that out and meander your way through that.
0: I think actually, in, you know, having had, you know, from, you know, well, obviously before 2017, but from that time, the last sort of eight years or so, in this um, in this agency space, I think that's one thing actually, Paul, that this sector's great at because, you know, they're used to using the agency owners used to using freelancers for delivery of work. They are less, um, as you say, emotional about saying, you know, I need someone for. Six months, eight months, nine months. I think, I think, you know, in terms of flexibility, which you know is is important with all of these things. Um, I actually think this sector is probably better than than other ones I've worked in in that, in that basis.
1: Okay, so on to number three then. This is about understanding long term market demand. What do you mean by that?
0: Um, that one, to be honest, you, is quite quite simple and, and quite brief. Which is um, be clear that the uh, again in my head now i'm visualizing the slides I remember the slide of the the russian dolls is that the you know growth is only valuable if it is sustainable so go back to again the definition of the scale up it was something that you could do year on year for three years so it's not just a sudden in and out and so i always sit there and look and, you know whether someone's got a great idea it's is this opportunity real is it just a fad is it a niche or is it realistic? Um, you know, we've all seen things come along, and I suppose the tech space is one of the worst for it. You know, everyone suddenly likes, you know, oh, you must see this flavor X of something, and flavor X doesn't doesn't last that long. And you know, we've seen again in this space, we've seen lots of agencies that suddenly put their um, proposition around a piece of tech rather than uh, you know what they do differently, and that and that can be um, dangerous. I suppose the you know the cl- the classic. Um, uh, cliche there is, you know, all the glitters is not gold. It's, so it's, it's it's about really understanding that what you're doing, does this have the ability to sustain a business? That's not to say if it's a 12-month, 18-month, 24-month market, don't make hail the Sunshines. I'm not suggesting that. But if you're serious about, you know, creating value from the growth opportunity, then logically it has to be over a longer period of time. So that's what that really is. It's also about understanding if this if you look at this and say okay this is a three five-year opportunity what's the runway that you need in that time you know is it is it something that you can start tomorrow start billing tomorrow is it something that you know we've seen lots of um, businesses in this space that are building a proposition and they might be developing let's just say a piece of software and it's all about well um it's going to take so long to develop it, and you know, I've, it, you reminded me now of when we spoke about your um your time with with Go Proposal was that one of your things there was yeah it's great if it's perfect but let's get it to a point where we can actually build somebody and somebody pays us for it so it's about understanding you know I, I use the phrase runway that was a, a a phrase that was given to me by an FDI I worked with many years ago is you know what runway do you need and, and are you going to run out runway before before you take off really um and on that and as i said this is probably the briefest point um as i mentioned a few minutes ago about be flexible you know be flexible and analyze what you're doing um don't assume that you know uh you know you know look at look at you know let's best best example christmas market christmas market 17 pound a pint or whatever it is these days those people have got to make a lot of money in a couple of months that's that's why it's there that is a a a, a sp- business in and out done it's not something that sits there and says we've got to build this amount of resource etc etc so i would say you know be flexible to the reality so that's not to say don't take on a short-term uh, market opportunity but understand where it is analyze what you're doing which comes back to your reporting and also don't be afraid to pivot the one thing and i'll say this now again i wouldn't have said it at the time paul back in 2017 but i can say it now You know, when done well, pivoting business models can absolutely drive top-line growth and create sustainable value. We did that at MN. We pivoted that business uh, and made it, you know, as profitable with half the staff, which then allowed us to go to be more profitable, um, which subsequently led to a successful set of that business. So pivot. I, there's lots of people who think pivot's a negative thing you know so suddenly if we go back to our analogy here you know I can't get to objective A that was blocked how do I find a route to objective B sometimes it's pivot sometimes it's go back where you've come from but don't be afraid to pivot
1: the bit that you talked about there about the the agency that um, you reduced headcount but maintained or improved profitability can you I think the audience will be really interested to understand some of that because it'll set off a lot of questions obviously some of it will be uh confidential but could you just talk us through whatever you're willing to share about what tactics or strategies you actually deployed in order to achieve that outcome
0: um (laughs) you're gonna you're gonna thank yourself for asking that question paul because this does come back to david genuinely um it was very simple uh, and this is not this is not confidential um so um Myself and and Lou, who was the founder of that business, uh, the business was in a, I'd say, had developed into what's probably a traditional space, design and build. And we sat and looked there and, uh, you know, Lou had, the, I'd say, the foresight and the bravery to say, look, this is not the business that I started. Uh, I'm not going to suggest she fell out of love with the business, but it was not the business that she started. She wanted to go... That's why I say pivot sometimes, go back where you've been, go back to being more creative. Uh, and we took a view to say, we're going to change our proposition. Um, you know, we're not going to build. We're not going to have teams of developers. We're going to be a design business where, you know, go back, sort of go back to the first four or five years of a of business there. Um, and so it was, it was how do we recognize, how do we identify the resource we need? And the big thing is, how do we charge for it appropriately? And that's where David developed the capacity planner. So we sat there and said, "Okay, if this is the amount of profit we want to generate, and the profit was about giving us the stepping stones to get who we wanted to be in three years' time, so it wasn't about you know necessarily how much revenue do we need. It was what do we what how much do we need to bill to basically keep the doors open whilst we make this pivot because pivots do cost money. I'll also say that Paul. I'll say don't be afraid to do it, but plan for it and know it's going to cost you money. Um And so." It was sitting there and understanding that how do we appropriately charge the staff that we have? How do we? What tunes can we play before we, you know, go to market with it, or can we try something different? And it was it was allowing us to make sure that um, we could better measure the billing. Again, if I go back to um, something that Joe Hines would have s- said from uh, a Snipe Partners in, in the webinar you did, was you know he was talking there about buyers having a gross profit per headcount measurement as a key sort of performance indicator we're going to say um and that's something at that point we looked at we looked at you know non billing staff uh knowing that as you scale by the way you have to develop an, an amount of non billing staff because you have to have the structure in to do all the things you know um whether it's space whether it's office managers whether it's people you know person people whatever you call it these days um people person um but it's all, it's just understanding How are you going to charge appropriately? And that's something which, again, um, you know, I appreciate, or I appreciated. This comes back to the point that, you know, David helped us look at that business in a different light, uh, and that was ultimately one of the successful uh, tools that we used.
1: I remember some of the conversations during the time, well, actually, about the capacity plan, and we had, like, a really healthy debate about it, if you like, when you you mentioned there about it's not about what revenue could you achieve, Um, and... I was I was explaining to you at the time that the revenue capacity planner is not that because of things like value pricing. You know, if you've got the opportunity to be able to charge the customer more because of the way that you're adding more value, the capacity planner at the end of the day is really about inputs. So it's about, well, if these are the inputs, if these are the resources that we're paying for and this is what it's costing us, it's what's the minimum revenue we should be looking yeah. to do. Otherwise, what's the point in having a service business with all these people if they're not at least... Covering their own costs and and making a margin, so that that was the thing with the capacity point. Of it's what what's the minimum viable revenue to make sense for this size and shape of team that we've got. One other question that I've got is, you talked there about like reliance, if that's the right word, on partners, so other partners, and you know you become wedded to we are a Magento partner or a, or a HubSpot partner. What's your view on that? Because obviously that does have its advantages yeah. as well as its disadvantages. So we've talked about some of the risks of that. What would be an example of using that in the right way to, to benefit you by partnering with one of those software vendors or or, or the like? Uh,
0: the obvious answer to that is, and, and this is not in any way disrespectful to anyone who's done it, is 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 to do it positively, which is jump on the coattails or something, you know. I suppose if you go back to the original concept of a franchise it was allowing someone to create a business start a business and ostensibly use someone else's brand as part of your sales proposition so you know whether that is software um so obviously you mentioned magento there we've had johnny talk about magento um, you know this year we had adrian talk about the fact that he you know doubled down on salesforce and that was their proposition so there are there are fantastic ways to do it um I've done it not in this industry where I was um, uh, a director of business where we were reselling telecoms equipment and there was only 10 organisations in the UK that had this certain standard. And very often one of the things, and and again, you will have heard me speak to some existing clients about this now, be careful that you're not, if you like, um, becoming an outpost for that brand because whilst it's really useful... And it's really useful to potentially get you in this space. So I'm going to use this brand to um, as a catalyst. I'm going to use this brand. I'm going to use this vendor. I'm just going to use the phrase reseller at the minute, agency reseller, whatever. Uh, I'm going to use that to either accelerate my own space in this market, grow my revenues. But at the same time, what are you doing it for? Because ultimately, if your goal is build a business, scale a business, Earn lots of money up the business that might be great. The closer you are wedded to that brand, be careful the brand doesn't do something wrong. You know that's the thing, and also the fact that you know if you're only ever seen as let's just let's just use our proposition reverse, you're seen as an outsourced sales function for that software vendor. Then your ability to create value for yourself and that business may be limited. So. I would, my experience and my advice on this would be a little bit, you said earlier about the concept of, um, you know, even our own proposition, knowing that you can flex that partnership when it's appropriate for that's part of your business journey. It's great to get people started, but, you know, if for argument's sake, um, you know, the irony is the the organization I'm talking about, though the the manufacturer was was a buyer, um you know that that entity doesn't exist anymore now you know it's an american thing and we can talk about all that but the risk is if suddenly you end up being a reseller for a brand that particularly in this space in tech that suddenly is no longer the flavor of the day um then just be careful of the uh, the, the shelf life maybe is the best phrase the shelf life of that proposition
1: the swappability. Can we swap it out? Can You know, Can we, yeah. we, This is the vendor that we're working with now, but if this vendor d- disappeared, yeah. do our skills and expertise and marketing and yes. everything we're doing with our brand yes. still lend themselves to working with another provider?
0: And also making sure that what you deliver, pull and I suppose this is more important in the agency space, that... The client ultimately, yes, is buying the. Let's just use. Let's just use technology and software is the best example. They're using that because it fits in with their business infrastructure. So, let's use Azure. Let's use AWS. Any one of those things. So that the client says, yes. Do you know what? I'm buying Azure. Um, but it's what you do with that because they're buying Azure, but they're buying your ability to deliver the Azure and they're buying the bits. Never hesitate to recognise the value that you are adding onto that. And I suppose that's the bigger lesson. If you're not adding value to it, you are just a Mm middleman and just being a middleman is not going to create value.
1: Mm. Great. Okay, we'll move swiftly on then to number four, don't get blindsided by growth. Uh,
0: This this comes back to... um, I suppose what we what we said before, which is, I've seen organisations where growth becomes at all costs, and um, I nearly thought I was going to get through this one, Paul, without doing a sporting analogy. And of course, it's just <laughs> rushed into my mind now that you know when I was coaching rugby, uh, people used to accuse myself of you know wanting to win at all costs. Not entirely true, but you know winning all is all that mattered, obviously, but not at all costs. And we used to play teams for whom that was it. It was because at the time, you know, our lads were unbeaten. Everybody wanted to pop at us. It was that all that mattered was was winning. So I would say it's a little bit. When I say blindsided, don't become, um, don't get the blinkers on. Don't 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 become so focused on this growth that everything that you're going to need to support that growth, fuel it, support it, sustain it, gets ignored. You said earlier about. And I totally agree with that, which is, you know, it's, you know, the classic fight, you know, firefighting. If there's something happening now, you've got to deal with it. But don't only fight the fire and ignore everything else that's that's going on, really. So it's about making sure that you know the sustainability and i suppose again what i would change from 2017 paul i would have spoken then about the sustainability of your business i think the bit that you know um pandemic and everything has taught me is mm. it's, it's also you sustainability mm. of you can you carry on doing this mm. you know that's where i've seen you know go back to structure i've seen people build great structures for that reason so it takes the dependency off maybe the founder but don't get blindsided It just says you know make sure that you're not doing this at all costs this comes back to go, you know, make sure you've got a plan you know it's probably going to take you out of your comfort zone mm. you know and be okay with that um and this is probably where again might not have said it as much in 2017 but absolutely now both my experience of doing it at that time and since this is where you know culture completely comes in you know i've i've um, quoted um you know on this' I've quoted in our social media Peter Drucker before you know and and Peter Drucker famously said that cultural eat strategy for breakfast um now that you know he's not he he's pointing out there that you know yes, you might have a good company and you and you might have a strong plan, but it won't do anything it won't lead to anything without that great execution um and specifically with scale. The execution cannot be relying on just that founder. The, input, the you know, the the challenge there for the for the entrepreneur, for the business founder, when you're looking to scale up, is can you set the right company culture? You know, you've gone through this, Paul. You've gone through this with Matt. You spoke very um, openly, passionately, and eloquently on you know the culture challenges of you know reflecting on ten years at Matt, what that's done, and 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 as I say, I'd say more culture now. I would say stronger than I would have said um, you know six years ago
1: couple of things that I just noted down there is the at all costs things. I I really grimace when I hear a business owner using something like, if it kills me, I'll do it, you know, whatever it takes, I I, I can make it sort of thing. And there's two reasons why that's um, not a good strategy. Number one is obviously the most important thing is it's not healthy. At the end of the day, it is work and it is business and it's only worth so much. And secondly, um because it does just scream i think lack of a good strategy mm. if you're having if you're if you're using the phrase i'll I'll do this yeah. if, if if it kills me yeah. I'm, I'm going to achieve it then you're probably doing it by yeah. a hook or by a crook, yeah. by f- sheer force of determination yeah. and personality they're not really the aspects of a yeah. good quality business that's got a good culture yeah. and a good strategy yeah. and a good plan and good and good people around you
0: yeah uh, you, you, you've you, opened the door for me from the sporting one there paul um <laughs> So for those people who probably today, these days, you probably can't not know that. So, you know, Kevin Simfield was doing the um, marathon, start with the seven in seven days, and then he's been doing the ultra marathons. And he was saying there, that when he first did that, despite actually not liking running, it was his absolute single-mindedness and his obsession to get through those things. And what he's now saying is every time he does another one now, what he recognises is the planning and the support structure, the better that is, the easier it's not never easy, it's incredible mm. what he does. Um, but it's easier to deliver because he's not reliant on just his mm. willpower to get there, and that's probably, an, an, you know, a, again, an interesting way to look at the concept of planning and support and the team around you.
1: Mm. Great. And the next one's something related to weight loss, I think. Number five, <laughs> trim the fat. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm not that's the, that's, the, that's the one I usually ignore, probably. Um, so, um this this is about again be, being being conscious but not being ruthless um it making sure you have got the appropriate resources you used earlier about being able to look at okay um and this is the team I need at this point, and I need extra people. And whether it's, you know, suddenly we see lots of agency owners that talk about needing to employ business development or sales. And as you say, these days that can be, that can be um, outsourced. But it's about making sure the people you've got have got the right purpose and are supported by the right process. And this was specifically about... Trim the Fat came from the thing that says... You know the t- the team that got you where you are today is pr- is more than likely not going to be the team you need to get you where you want to get to, um. And it's about being comfortable, if that's the right phrase, about hiring and firing. You know, if you go back to, this is where I will um, challenge sometimes the thing about the family pieces. You know, it, I I know so many businesses that. You know they've got. Um, let's be brutally honest. How many do we speak to, Paul? That say, oh, you know, it's my mother-in-law who does the bookkeeping, or yeah. you know, my friend of a friend of my brother's does this. And you sit there, and they know, they know that that person can't. You know, he's not, is no longer capable at that level they're at. Whether it's just the number of transactions, whether it's even cloud accounting is something, you know, rather than physically sort of, you know, bookkeeping, ledger keeping. Um, it's being. I want to say comfortable. I don't mean. You shouldn't care about it. It's it's being, um, professional, being respectful. But it's it's you're not going to get where you need to go by by you get out your comfort zone. But you can't drag people with you, mm. and you've got to have people. You know, one of the best again, one of the best examples. You know, I heard about the conduct of leadership was. You know, there's that thing about his leader at the front, his leader at the back. And then someone said to me, well, I stand at the front because I've got 250 people pushing me from behind, which I thought was an incredible way of looking at it. Mm. Um, so, you know, it, it's, that, that at the time was about not being afraid. I think it's a better phrase. Comfortable sounds um, a bit disrespectful. Um, not being afraid to hire and fire. Could this
1: also be about, because you talk about there, maybe outgrowing some of the things that are no longer fit for purpose, but could it also be part of the way around is that maybe you've gone for growth, you've built an infrastructure, and maybe things have not quite panned out the way that you want them to, and now you have got fat because you've got a £3 million turnover business, Mm. but you've got the infrastructure of a £5 million business, and then you've got the challenge of Mm. ego and vision and all the rest of it not quite panning out the way it wants to be, and then having those difficult decisions.
0: I'd say Paul again, look at, if we say, I think you started this by saying it, 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 you know are these six points still appropriate? what's changed? The biggest thing's changed that you know and, and I used to glib glibly say now now wrongly say that there wasn't something in business I hadn't seen before, and then COVID <laughs> came along, the pandemic came along, you didn't say this before, which is I think anybody listening to this today that's a business owner knows that at some point. Since March 2020, they have had to trim that fat. They've had to do it in reverse, as you've said there. They've had to look at it and say, what's the, what's, the, what's the things I need to do to basically keep the business going?
1: I'm going to turn the tables a second there, Stuart, because I'm going to be the sceptical one that you're, you normally are. But is there an element as well with the, with the office space thing is that you said about not being egotistical but there probably are some people who are egotistical yeah. and it's become cool not to have an office. Oh rather yes than to have absolutely an
0: office. yeah totally. Yeah. And again look well let's you know let's let's be honest look at the decisions we took um you know we we still we maintained our office we still have a majority remote policy. Um uh, we have some roles now as do you know what everything we spoke about here as mappers is growing and scaling. There are roles now that are not um, billable. There are roles that are office based. There are all those things that you know, not client facing, so to speak, that you know we didn't have before. Um, you know, but we took a view, you know, culturally that the maintaining the office and maintaining the the and I don't know how to explain it, the safe point that the 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 conduit. You know, the the, the what, what's the one consistent thing? Sixteen Blackfriars. So you know. I suppose, you know, there's there's absolutely something there. But yes, I agree with you now that, you know, the, so I used to joke, it used to be, you know, the pool table, the bean bag, and, and the agency dog. Now it's the other way around, which is, oh, you know, we're a Starbucks, uh, you know, mm. we're a Starbucks residence or whatever. Yeah, changes. It. It's, it's
1: doing it for the right reasons. And that comes down to having that governance and having all the stuff we've talked mm. about, having the right advisors, having the space, the people that you can trust to sit down with and work through those decisions. Because they're not easy decisions, are they? There's no. There's so many things that's piled into it both short term and ifs and buts for later um, and that, that they need giving proper attention really one difficult question i've got on trim the fat before we move on is i've called it the timing of pushing the button so i know it's easy to you're going to want to say it depends on the circumstances of the the, the, the business but if you were giving advice now yeah. to a business that has maybe pushed through that scale ceiling if you like and then because of COVID or market conditions or bad luck, anything else, they've not quite been able to achieve what they've set the infrastructure up to achieve. How do you go about working out the timing to do that? Because they don't want to do it too soon and think, we were just about to take off and we had all this infrastructure and now we've pulled it it too soon. And you don't want to do it too late and God forbid you've got an insolvent business.
0: My honest opinion is, do it yesterday. I've always said this. In, at the times when I have had to cut headcount, so real example: um, two thousand, uh, spring two thousand and nine. I was the MD of a business where the um, the proposition essentially was advertise funded publications. And two thousand eight for anyone who's holding off two thousand eight credit crunch and then the financial crisis, advertising sales went through the floor. And there was a, a lot of uh, restructuring of that business and I at the time you know people said it to move forward and I say now and it's not a pleasant thing to do and it's not but you've also got to look the people in the eye that you're looking to, to save the business um, is, is don't hesitate and, and when you do it and I, and again, I passionately believe this now. Is cut deep than you think you need to do. Do it fast and do it deep. You can know, always rebuild it back, but you lose something. You you know if you are carrying that you know carrying that fat, carrying those extra pounds now, and that, you know don't look at me when I say that, is that you know it just it just makes everything so hard. It really does. That's my honest opinion. Um, the one thing I would say, the mitigation to that is obviously this comes back to um, you know knowing your forecasts and being able to look at something and say can i see what's coming round the corner i think what you know the pandemic period taught us was you know we didn't know what was round the corner but you know fingers crossed thankfully now you know as we're in 2024 and out of that um you know we're in a position where you should be able now to have some more confidence in your forecasts and know where those things are but please please don't just carry resource for the sake of carrying it um Because the worst thing in the world is you carry that resource, and then when you're ready to go, some of your best and brightest people will see what's going on and actually think they want to be in a more dynamic business. And and that's happened to me.
1: Um, Let's finish off then with the final one, number six, which is all about changing your mindset.
0: That's probably a great segue to what we've just said, Paul. That is, um, look forward. So very often when you're starting a business, you are literally spinning those plates. You're doing everything, and you are uh, potentially in daily survival mode. There's anything that can happen at any one time. You know, I know lots of people in this space that will say every agency is three phone calls away from disaster. Um, lots of those things can happen, and so very often you are, you know, go back to our you know map room analogy. You're in the trenches every day. There comes a point where. If you're going to scale that business, then you've got to get out of that frontline trench. You've got to come back. You've got to get to your command post and you've got to start looking forward and not just facing the daily battles. Um, part of that is you've got to think bigger. Um, you know, live the reality you want to achieve. You know, start being that person. Don't say in a year's time, I'm going to delegate better. Delegate better tomorrow. That's the, the thing. That You can't do that without the rigor and discipline. You know, I mentioned ride the wave before if it was a fad. You know, don't just ride the wave. Don't just sit there and go, I'm going to make able the sunshines," Unless that's, you're okay with that. You know, rigor and discipline is the thing that you've got to fall back on. And that brings me probably back round to where uh, we spoke before about the whole point of planning and reporting really matters. You know, the, the value of budgeting, Paul, and forecasting and being able to see, you know, one of the other things that, um david introduced uh back to us it would have been um wouldn't have been 2017 it'd have been slightly 18 might, might have been 18 um was the concept of the live finance forecast so you know we had a budget and and you know I, I i would never have a business without a budget uh you know uh we had a budget we had the concept of the the sales forecasting but what Dave allowed us to do was create this concept of a life finance forecast that said, okay, we've got the budget there, and and I'd spent years, Paul, having variance reporting, and and probably everyone listening to this knows what we talk about. So you have management accounts. It says, okay, you said you were going to do this, and you did that. Is it up? Is it down? What the life finance forecast allowed me to do was was look at scenarios, look at things to say, and and you know, again, if I'd have had this, when I say if I'd have had it at the time, I didn't have those responsibilities at the time in COVID. But you could sit there and say, "Okay, if I've got to lose half the staff, what does it mean? Mm. If I lose, if I lose that biggest client, what does it mean?" Mm. It allowed us to play tunes on things, and it allowed us to um, scenario planning is the phrase I'm looking for. It allowed mm. us to do things, do things better, and that for me is changing mindset. So rather than just sit there and say, "I, I lost my first business, poll because myself and my business partners, I'm a salesman, and we thought that as so long as we kept getting orders. And the higher the orders piled, the more successful we were. That was our belief. Uh overtraded, cash flow issues, all the things that we see in small businesses. Um, had we taken the time to under- have the rig and the discipline and have um, you know, proper budgets in place and the content life finance forecast, things would have been very different. And that's why I'm so passionate about it now, mm. because it, it these things these things don't just exist paul for accountants with respect to us or uh, you know uh, advisors to have fancy tools they're, they're there for a reason um and they come out of experience and i've seen you know it worked for me and i've seen it work for lots of others so i'd, I'd say planning and reporting is the is the biggest mindset change because so many entrepreneurs that's the the least important thing for them and in this space in the creative space very often it's 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 just not in their psyche but if they're serious about scaling that business, you won't do it without it.
1: I'm glad you said that it's not just for accountants, because for me, that is a business owner tool. You know, your your role is to understand where you're going as a business, how to get there, that planning and reporting. The accountants bit is setting it up, really. You know, it's making sure all the formula work and that the, the 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 tool is actually set up in the right way to work, and maybe you know some validation when when the business owner's filling it in. But we have clients now where it's 90% them using it and 10% us checking it over, sense checking it, asking good questions, stress testing it. But they spend a lot of their time in that forecasting okay. tool. Um, and I'd say two things. It needs to be, everyone talks about scenario planning, everyone knows what we mean by scenario planning, but the key is, is it quick and is it thorough? Yeah. So is it quick for you to, you talk always talked about playing tunes in it, which is great. Yeah. I love that because it means you you feel that you can go in without much help from anybody and just play different scenarios, yeah. copy different versions of the spreadsheets and just play around and see, see what it kicks out. But it's also about being thorough so that you're not just looking at it one dimensional or can I afford to take on this member of staff or yeah. lose this member of staff? It's well, what's the knock on impact of that on the other areas of the business and making sure that all that's fed into the model as well, really.
0: I'm, so. I'm going to say one thing I will say there, Paul, is you know, I always say my weaknesses, I only see the world through my eyes. I'm going to throw that back at you there, which is, You, As the business owner, you are the business owner that has an accountant's mindset, so that's one thing. I think what you're saying there is people keep asking us, um, and maybe we need to explain it better, what, what do we mean when we say no financial maturity? And what you're saying there is what you take as, as should we say logic and obvious, what you're saying now is those clients that we have that are now using that and living in the finance forecast are those clients that are... Moving up that financial maturity curve, because they're understanding those tools there are there for the business owner, and they're not something that whether it's us as MAP or anybody else, any any accountant, you know, any any professional service person has said you need to look at this. Mm. It, it's it's being able to recognise it for what it does for your own business, mm. not that it makes your life easier for your accountant or somebody else, mm. and, and that's I think when people ask us about financial maturity and i'm going to throw that in as maybe a closing point on change your mindset is 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 take the time to become more financially mature
1: yeah and that's nothing or very little to do with accounting mm. that's about how you use finance in your business yeah. to understand what's going yeah. on and to be able to as you talked about play tunes understand the drivers understand the impacts mm. of different decisions and the and the impact it'll make on you financially because like it or not businesses only ever fail because of the most of the time, the majority of the time, only ever fail because of the financial performance.
0: Yeah, fascinating. Well, I'm conscious that obviously I think we're probably at the uh, at the uh, end of our hour. Um, this is normally when I sit there and thank our guest, but I'm obviously going to say thank you today, Paul, for uh, for throwing this one in. It's it is, it is always, it's always interesting to have the tables turned. It's always interesting... Um, to have the conversation but I've really enjoyed the fact that as you say we look back and um it's funny now as you say literally now and it is now I can I can remember I can remember the incident in the boardroom there uh, well meeting room boardroom there at MAP at uh, MN sorry um and you know it being full as we said and changing it and and ironically you know we've got we've got people today from that session that are clients which is which is fascinating I've gone on, I've gone on that journey um I always think it's good to reflect. Um, I think it's good. I've said in there about you know analyze what you're doing. Uh, it's interesting to see we, we you know we've done that. But I suppose to say the biggest takeaway I'd hope people get from it is the basics don't change. The things that will help you scale your business fundamentally don't change. And it's not about the sector you're in. It's about having the discipline, the rigour, and ident- understanding, identifying the bits around that circle that you need to do.
1: The key for me, Stuart, I want to thank you for your time today is is that experience because, you know, you can, you can provide this content, you can provide this framework for people to have a bit of a better understanding about some of the things that they should be thinking about, but it's what you do from here on in that counts. It's okay knowing about it or yeah. knowing some of it, but having someone to hold you accountable who has actually trodden that path before, who's got the battle scars that somebody... A little bit older <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, like you exudes is, and and so whether it, it's Stuart or another advisor another yeah. exec find, find a way to help you as a business owner I always say that as, as a business owner we're, we're great at holding everyone else to account yeah. but who, who's holding you to, you yeah, to yeah, account exactly. and who's helping you to make sure yeah. that you run the best version of the business that, that you want to run and so try to seek somebody who's trodden that path before because I promise you it's worth, worth its weight in gold and it'll save you so much stress and time and money in the long term by getting some of those decisions right from the outset like you've talked about in other episodes as well I know I talked about it with with Louise it's at the root of the problem starting to avoid it becoming a bigger problem yeah. than, than yeah. it needs to be rather than reacting later and, yeah. and you're very you're very busy as a business owner spinning a lot of plates so just get somebody in your corner who's been through that journey before
0: excellent well um Obviously, we hope today's been useful. Um, If you uh, enjoy what we're doing, then carry on listening to us. If there are areas where, as a listener, you think we should be covering uh, this year in 2024, then please uh, reach out and let us know. Um, As per normal, you've been listening to Stuart and today with Paul. uh, And thank you very much, and hopefully we'll see you again soon. Bye for now. Season two of The Map Room has been brought to you by MAP, the outsourced finance function for digital agencies. Subscribe via your usual podcast app to never miss an episode.